This is Lit Mix, a podcast about the books that challenge us. I'm Andrea. And I'm Rachel. We're friends who met in eighth grade and grew up to be a high school English teacher and a K-12 school librarian. Each episode of our show focuses on one particular book, why it's controversial, and what makes it important. On today's special prologue episode, you'll hear us discuss the origins of our friendship, weird books we read in junior high, and why we're still talking about books with each other so many decades later. Welcome to our first episode. If you, like us, can't wait to get into the books, start with our episode on Genderqueer by Maya Kobabe. But if you choose the adventure of getting to know us, listen on. I am Andrea Benvenuto. I'm a veteran school librarian, a writer, and the parent of an elementary school aged child. I was an English major in college. We both were, right? But I had a concentration in journalism. So after graduation, I did a lot of writing and editing for various publications. I had a brief gig writing book reviews for Publishers Weekly. I also worked a bunch of jobs, including assistant at a literary agency and bookstore cashier slash clerk. Eventually, I went back to school for my master's in library and information science. And from there, I took a job as a librarian in a K-12 school in Philadelphia where I worked for more than 10 years. Now I'm employed at a university and I'm trying to write more fiction. What about you, Rachel? Who are you? I'm Rachel Stone. I'm also a writer and I would describe myself as an occasional English teacher. For the past six years, I've taught English in a boarding school and been a dorm parent. I went to grad school and earned an MA in English the very minute that I escaped my little religious college. And since then, I've taught in three states, two countries, two continents, two colleges, one boarding school, one pre-K. During that time, I did a lot of writing gigs, including um, a long stretch of time when I was reviewing religion titles for Publishers Weekly. So we met in eighth grade on Long Island. In eighth grade, you were the new girl in school, I would. I think we were all really excited to meet you and be like, who is this new girl? What's she all about? We both played flute in the junior high band. I feel like that's where I kind of first saw you, but we were also in the same English class together. And during one of our recent conversations that we recorded for the podcast, we, we tapped into a core memory from eighth grade English. And I would like to play that clip. I remember my biggest memory of being in English class with you is when we read a book called The Goats. And Rachel's parents opted to have her not read that book. That was eighth grade. We found the memory. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, because there was pubic hair. My question was at the time, yeah. how did her parents know a what book we were going to read next? Because my parents didn't know what books we were going to read next. 
And B, how did they know like that there was something in this book that seems so obscure to me? I never even heard of it. Oh my God. I don't even know how to respond because this is <laughs> like, this is just amazing. And I completely and specifically remember that there was something we may have to Google. The Googling yeah. may be necessary because I want to just get this right. All right. So what, uh, Brock something? Brock Cole, the goats. And it was like, it was about two kids who were at like summer camp or something and everyone hated them and they got stranded somewhere and they were naked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the thing that I'm remembering is that there is from a male perspective, a depiction of this pubescent girl's pubic hair. Uh I seem to remember that there was a very provocative metaphor in there, but I would Google it before I would even say it out loud, what I thought it was. But here's the part that's trippy. Here's the part that's like giving me shivers a little bit, which is that my parents didn't have a clue about the goats. They didn't know about that book at all. I, I paged through it, saw that reference to the pubic hair, felt troubled and guilty and dirty. And was like, I can't bring this home and like have my parents see it and then feel like they need to get up in arms about it. So I just told Mrs. Duke on my own, my parents would think that this is against our religion. And she was, and I remember being like so afraid to do that. And then she, and then being so like surprised and delighted that she just was like, okay. And like, she just like took that book and like, in my memory, it was just like with one hand, she took that book back and handed me Elizabeth George Spears, The Witch of Blackbird Pond with the other. And I fucking loved that book. Like I loved it so much. And it really, like it just energized something very deep in me. Um, And I still love that book to this day. So yeah, super, you know, that is one for the therapist. My jaw, my jaw is on the floor that (laughs) you, and this goes back to what we were saying about kids self-selecting things for themselves, that the whole time in our entire friendship of decades long, I had in my mind that Rachel's parents wouldn't let her read this book, but no, it was that Rachel was not comfortable reading this book. And yeah. that was okay. Wow. 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 <laughs> 27 years later. Uh-huh. <laughs> the truth comes out. It does. It always, it always does. We're back. We have the passage in front of us. I'm going to read it right now and we'll just let it fall as it does. When they were close enough to the shore to touch bottom, she couldn't walk. She tried to, but she kept falling over. Finally, he had to drag her out of the water, holding her by the armpits. He dragged her over a narrow, muddy beach and up on some grass before his feet slipped out from under him, and he sat down with a bump. He sat there panting while she lay between his legs, staring up at the sky through glasses pebbled with water. 
It was beginning to get light with that pale dawn light that robs everything of color. He looked at her body. It was long and white. She had no breasts, just two shriveled nipples. At the bottom of her belly was a little patch of hair like a Hitler mustache. That meant she was more mature than he was. He didn't have any hair yet. The other boys called him Baldy. It was supposed to be funny because he had thick curly hair on his head. So after reading that, I can see why you may have been disturbed by this passage and didn't want to read the book. It checks out. The story of you previewing that book and deciding it wasn't for you, that brings us to why we're talking about the books that we're talking about on the podcast. All kids are different and all families are different. And it follows that a book might be okay for one eighth grader, but at the same time, not right for another. I would even say within the same family, when one child is 13, the book might be good for them, but their sibling might turn 13 and not so much. So you have to know your own kids and yourself like you did when we were 13. I think it's fair to say that we both subscribe to the idea that individuals and families should make their own informed decisions about what books are right for them and their kids. But when a book is challenged or banned in a school or a public library, the person or group doing the challenging is saying that their decision about the appropriateness of a book is the only right one and should apply to everyone in their community. We have been seeing a tidal wave of book challenges across the U.S. in recent years. According to the American Library Association, 2021 saw the highest number of book challenges since its Office of Intellectual Freedom started tracking challenges about 20 years ago. So there's a difference between a book being challenged and a book being banned. A book being challenged means someone in the community has raised a concern about either its presence in the library or a classroom or about it being taught in school. A ban would mean that as a result of the challenge, the powers that be have actually decided to remove the book from the library or remove the book from the curriculum. So a lot of times a challenge doesn't necessarily result in a ban, but it is still very concerning. PEN America released a report at the beginning of the school year, September 2022, that outlined all the actions that people had been taking to try to ban or restrict access to books over the previous school year. So 2021 to 2022, which was my last year in the classroom. From July 2021 to June 2022, PEN America's Index of School Book Bans lists 2,500 32 instances of individual books being banned, affecting 
648 unique book titles. A lot of people being affected in their literary, scholarly, and creative work by these bands. What effect does this have on writers, artists, people who make things, people who tell stories? A lot of the immediate impact that I've seen is authors who have been invited to speak at a school whose invitations have been rescinded because of the content of their book. And those school visits could be a big part of their livelihood in terms of finances, not to mention the connections that they would be able to make with readers. I don't think I've heard any writers say out loud that these challenges have affected the work that they put out there. But you have to imagine that it's in the back of their mind. And we know that there's definitely teachers and librarians who, wait, what is that phrase? Like soft censoring or shadow? Shadow ban? Yeah. So educators, I think, because of all of these challenges, a lot of them are kind of preemptively censoring what, yeah, so what books they make available to their students. I don't think it takes too much imagination to see how that's kind of everywhere right now. You know, there's a lot of fear out there, a lot of fear, a lot of hurt. And it's hard for me to see book banning as like separate from that. What, what's the professional standard of excellence when it comes to deciding what goes in a library? You know, essential cultural work. Let us behind the curtain. What goes in a library is referred to as collection development, which first and foremost refers to getting to know the population that you're serving and what their needs and interests are. Building a collection based on that. And we refer to all different sources to find out about new books, professional reviews, Personally, a lot of it has been through social media for me, just learning about cool new books for kids. Um, also conferences, professional conferences that we attend and all of that. We very briefly touched on book challenges when I was in my master's program. It may have been in a collection development course. It may have been in a course specifically for school librarians, but we were taught to always have a collection development policy and make that available to the public, outlining the goals of the collection and how books would be acquired and all of that, uh, but also to have a process in place for what would happen in the event of a book challenge. In my decade as a librarian, I never had a book formally challenged so I never had to use my book challenge process or paperwork that I established, but I did make sure I had it just in case. And 
in part, I feel like the idea was to have an actual piece of paper, which maybe these days would be a link to a forum on the internet, but that you could give this to people. So if someone did come in with a challenge, you could react calmly and, you know, say, thank you for sharing your concern. Here's the form for you to submit regarding this concern so that it could go through this formal process. But a lot of the stories that I'm hearing and reading about now don't involve that one person coming with a concern about a single book. It's groups bringing lists of books to school boards and library boards and dozens of titles at a time being pulled for review, which is not something that we learned about in library school. Are the people that are challenging these books reading the books? No, and that's actually one of <laughs> one of the things that's recommended to put on your book challenge form is, did you read the entire work in question? Often people who are challenging books are reacting to one page or one passage. We used to imagine maybe a parent looking at a book that their child had brought home or a child even showing something to their parent that upset them. But I think now it's these lists of books are being shared online by different groups like Moms of Liberty, which has its own little offshoot called Moms for Libraries, which I find ironic. <laughs> Let's just put it out in the open. It's not a surprise that the majority of the books that find their way onto these lists in the most recent years are by or about people of color and LGBT people. Those three years that I was homeschooled, the books my family chose were from a fundamentalist Christian publisher in the history and the science and the health books taught things like literal six-day creation, that the age of the earth was just 6,000 years. These books taught that there was an actual fire of hell for people who didn't believe in Jesus. What was said about bodies and sexuality how to dress and undress without letting anyone see our nakedness, not even ourselves. These books taught you to be afraid of people who were different than you. These books taught you that the government was dangerous. Science could not be trusted. School libraries wanted to corrupt you. What they were really afraid of is like the gays will come and get you and make you really gay. Or the feminists will come and get you and make you think that you have rights to your own body and your own pleasure. There was so much fear baked into it all. 
So when I read and hear about these groups with the lists, the dozens of titles being challenged, not one concerned parent or one scared student saying, this book isn't for me and it makes me feel weird. Can we talk? It's this this thing that's bigger than any one person, this thing that feeds off anger, feeds off fear, and is just looking to burn down all the means by which we can escape this narrow way of thinking about life. Books will not make your children anything, but it may help them understand who they are. And if you are a person for whom power and control is everything, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And we want to look at what it is that makes people fear these books that are being challenged. And talk about why they're valuable in spite of the ways some of them might be difficult or uncomfortable reads, as well as the fact, like we already said, that the majority of these books that are being challenged are by Black authors, authors of color, and or LGBTQ authors, which is not a coincidence. For now, we're going to be releasing six episodes focusing on books and authors whose work has been strenuously challenged across the country in high school classrooms and libraries. All of the books that we talk about in this series are by living writers, with the exception of one classic novel that we picked for our special Rewind episode. Mm -hmm. So each episode will focus on a different book. We'll talk about what we enjoyed, what led to that book being challenged, and how we might use that book with students. Also, just for fun, we'll each pick an accompanying song for the book of the episode to put on our Lit Mix playlist. We want to name something important. We are two cisgender white people discussing books mostly by and about people of color and or queer people. Our goal here is to have a friendly conversation, a friendly conversation with the authors and characters in the worlds that they've created. We might share very little on the surface in common with some of these people, but there are there are movements of the inner working of a person. There's consciousness that can be very similar. There are feelings in the body that people, no matter what they look like, feel just as keenly as the other who maybe isn't an other because they're feeling the same things. We won't understand what it's like exactly, but we can understand something. And I guess part of what we're doing in this podcast is just that. Mm -hmm. And and that's why we have been able to relate to all of these stories that we've been reading because while they might be about a specific experience, they're also just about a human experience. However, when possible, we would also like to recommend an additional podcast or some other media that discusses each book from a point of view that represents the author and or main characters. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we explore some thought-provoking and worthwhile books. Thanks for listening through to the end of our prologue episode. You can check our show notes for links and resources pertaining to today's topics. LitMix is created, hosted, and produced by Andrea Benvenuto and me, Rachel Stone. Follow us on Instagram at Litmix Podcast or email us at litmixpodcast 
at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or drop a few coins in our tip jar on Ko-Fi. Thanks for your support. 